Today's scripture will be coming from Matthew 15, 7 through 9. You hypocrites right, rightly did Isaiah prophesy prophecy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the prospect. The title of the lesson, Rescue from Robot Religion, comes from this. We've been um, looking, uh, at least last uh, Wednesday night, um, we looked at, um, well, the last couple of weeks, I guess it's been, of what we call the Duns. In Church Growth Circle, there's a, there's a group out there that's gone back into the world, and they're called the Nuns. There's the nun, there's the Nuns, and the Nuns, N-O-N-E-S, are those who never come to church in their entire life, except maybe to go to a wedding or a funeral or something, some special event. And then there are the Duns, and the Duns they're finding are people that used to be very involved in the Lord's Church or in the religious denomination that they're in, and, um, and that they would be some of the leaders, some of the movers and the shakers in these, in these congregations and everything. But they come to a point for some reason in their life where they lost all that enthusiasm for the Lord, and, and so now they're, as they say, done. And, and they say that, at least due to the studies they've been doing so far, that, that they believe those duns are done, that they're not going to come back. And, and so you think, what in the world is it that someone that, uh, from their new birth, when they're baptized into Christ and arise to walk in that newness of life, as the Bible says, and you're on fire for the Lord, and they're wanting to serve the Lord, and they're wanting to grow in Christ, and they're doing what the Bible says. They are indeed involved in the services of the Lord and, and trying to please the Lord and grow. And, 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 but some reason over the years, a lot of people go from that state to, I'm done. One of the common themes is that they felt like it had gotten to a point in their life where they were just kind of going through the motions. It was just kind of rote, you know. Um, and, uh, and they'd say, you know, we, we, we come, we stay, we pray, we give, we leave, you know, and just kind of that kind of stuff. And, um, and, and so how do they get to that point, brethren? And, and what will keep us from becoming a done? You know, that's what I want to talk about today. What I call robot religion, going through the motions, no real feeling. Uh, people that have a religion but not a relationship with their Heavenly Father. Because, brethren, if you have a vibrant, ongoing relationship, I can tell you one thing, you will never be done. Amen? If you've got a good relationship, you hear people say sometimes, you know, God wants willing servants, not robots. That's All of us want that. Okay? Uh, you know, if you've got an employee, you want him to be a willing person, right? God does want willing servants. So how do we get rescued from robot religion and keep from being a, a, a done? A robot religion is, is religion of rules rather than right. It's going through the motions. It's obeying the law. Uh, it's one of fear, of legalism oftentimes. It is often a slavish attachment to methods. But it leaves out the love of God, your love for God, and your love for those that God would have you to love, which is the first and second great commandments in the Bible. Robot religion helps you or keeps you restrained by the gospel rather than constrained 
There is a great difference, beloved. In spite of persecutions and troubles and failures, the New Testament Christians had great joy. They were constrained by the gospel. And brethren, I personally don't want to go to church more and enjoy it less. And as my commitment grows deeper, I don't want it to become sadder. I don't want it to become a burden in serving my heavenly Father. And it will if we fall into that habit of practicing robot religion to where we just go through the motions. Let me ask you if you've thought about that any. You know, as, as you're getting up and getting ready to come and worship God, do, do, you, do you view it in that way? I'm, I'm going to commune with my heavenly Father. I'm going to commune, commune and fellowship with my fellow saints. I'm going to sing praises to God. I'm going to worship God. Are you, do you look at it that way, or do you just see it, well, time to go in, so to speak, punch the clock, get my religion done for the week, and get out here and beat everybody else to the restaurant as soon as the preacher finally sits down and shuts up? You know? Are you just going through the motions where there's no heart and no spirit and no commitment, you know? Uh, uh, come in and just kind of your mind wanders or you're sitting there when you're lap playing on your phone or any number of things like that. Beloved, there's three things necessary, I think, according to the Scripture, and there could be more, of course, but for the lesson this morning, three things that will help save us from robot religion. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 14 is where we're going to begin. Number one is a knowledge and appreciation of what I am. The Bible talks about who we are, and it talks about what we are. Let me give you one a couple of examples. The Bible says you are the light of the world. That's not a figure. That is a fact. God has made you that. If you're in Christ, you are the light of the world. The Bible says you are the salt of the earth. We can't, we can't say, oh, no, no, I don't want those positions. No, no, no. If you're in Christ, the Bible says that's what you are. And let's see what else you are according to 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. Paul says, now, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit. Not finding Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. You know what Paul does here? Very freely, brothers and sisters, he admits a sin. He admits a defeat, a failure here. He came to Troas with the very distinct reason to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He admits the Lord opened a door for him to do that. And because he was depressed, he didn't do it. He expected to have Titus there to help him out, and he needed help. And he wasn't. So Paul's defeated by his spirit. You ever been there? You ever have a, a door God wants you to go through, and you go through that door, and then, and then all of a sudden it's not working the way you want to, and it didn't turn out the way you thought it should, and you get depressed? 
You ever do that? Has there ever been a time in your Christian life where you say, Lord, this isn't going the way that I thought it would go and I need it to go, and, I, and man, I'm getting pretty down about this, you know? Brothers and sisters, I think anybody that's been faithful to the Lord has gone there and done that, and we've all been there. Our depression often hinders us. We get tired. We get disappointed. We get hurt. And so what do we do? Paul says, I came to Troas to preach the gospel. God opened the door for me to do that, and I get there, and because things didn't go the way that I expected them to go, because my, uh, my fellow servant wasn't there, um, I got defeated. Paul's defeat came about because he tried to do it on his own strength. And when Titus didn't arrive to help him, he became depressed. But you know what? In all of this, he says in verse 14, what did he say? He's victory. He talks about victory even in that failure, but thanks be to God. He said, I messed up, I failed, I blew it, I allowed myself to get in the way, I took too much on myself, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Isn't that amazing, brothers and sisters? We have a heavenly Father who can take our messing up, our bumbling, our stumbling, our, our, our not doing what we need to do sometimes, and turn it into a victory. Isn't that wonderful? I'm glad that God is able and willing to do that. You see, God works it out for our good, the Bible says. And then after all that, this is what Paul explains after admitting his sin, his defeat, his failure, and how God works it out anyway. And he says, this is why, and this, brothers and sisters, is what we are, verses 15 through 17. Please pay attention to this. Verses 15 to 17. He says, we are the aroma of Christ, okay? He says in verse, um, verse 14, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are, verse 15, we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. For to the one it was an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? We're going to answer that in a minute. Verse 17, but we are not like many uh, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Let's flesh all this out, brothers and sisters. You are in Christ, then you are the aroma of Christ. Okay? Brothers and sisters, you should smell like Christ. This is what we are. We are the aroma, or as some versions would say, the fragrance of Jesus Christ. I was working outside yesterday, uh, working hard, and it was um, very hot and, and humid, and I'm just down on the power age left and right and, and still about to pass out and finally had to come in. And when I come in, brothers and sisters, I had an aroma. Okay? It was an unpleasant one. But see, brethren, we are the aroma of Jesus Christ. Our job, verse 17, isn't to sell the gospel. We're just to smell like Christ. That's what perfume does, right? But our problem is we try to bottle that aroma up in a thing called a church building. And then we try to get everybody to come inside the building or inside the bottle. 
I say we try to. I think we've even quit doing that anymore. Throw out the welcome mat and say, y'all come, and that's kind of the extent of it. But, brethren, I've never found a perfume salesperson that tried to get me to crawl inside the bottle. Do you ever do that? I was, I was shopping one time with my lovely bride because, husbands, that's what you do if you want to remain uh, faithfully married. And, and, uh, and I hate going to the mall. I hate going to them big box stores. I hate... And, and so my wife's shopping and doing her thing, and I'm just walking around, right? And, and I'm, I'm just go, walking around, and, and I'm passing the perfume counter. I always pass the perfume counter. I have no reason whatsoever to stop there. And this very pretty young lady behind the counter says, Sir, wouldn't you like to smell this perfume? I said, No, ma'am, I don't use it at all, and kept on walking. And she said, But a handsome young man like you obviously has a wife. I turned around. I go back to the perfume stand. What does she do? She said, we've got this new perfume here. Let me, let me show you. She, she will, they either open the bottle or, or, or will spray some on your wrist, right? Then you watch, who you been with? No. Uh, they, they spray it on your wrist, and, and, and she goes, smell that. Doesn't that smell good? You know, wouldn't, wouldn't your wife like to have some of this here? Chanel number five at $50 an ounce. I said, I'll just squirt vanilla on her. <laughs> Beloved, that's what a salesman do. They just let you smell the perfume, right? And, and, it, and if it's really good stuff, I guess it kind of sells itself. Uh, brothers and sisters, let's, you know, you, you just smell the aroma. And the Bible says here, now listen, this, this is real. This isn't just a figure. This is a fact. We are the perfume. We're, I, let me explain that. I'm sorry. We are not the perfume. Christ is the perfume. We are the aroma. The smell comes out of the bottle of perfume. We're not the source of the smell. We're simply the carrier of the smell. Therefore, we're not trying to sell the aroma. We're not trying to sell ourselves. We're trying to lead you to the source of the aroma, which is Jesus Christ. People ought to look at our lives seriously, brothers and sisters. The non-Christian in the world are that you are associated with ought to be able to look at our life and say, why are you the way you are? Why are you different than the world? They ought to be able to look at us and be able to say that. Why? Because they smell the aroma of Jesus Christ. As people watch us and see our lives, they should be compelled to find the source of why we're the way we are. And that is Jesus Christ. You ever, you ever be going somewhere and, and you smell this overwhelming smell of something cooking and you, just, you are just compelled to find the source? I was driving through a small town one time, a little country town, and I, man, I had my windows down because that's day in day and age, you know, I had 240 air conditioning. You roll down two windows and go 40 mile an hour. And, and, and I get this smell that hits me and brethren is boiled peanuts. Woo! 
I had to find the source of them things, man. I didn't know that little town. I went down every little road and back alley, man, following that smell that I found who was selling them peanuts. You say, well, that's crazy. I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, that's what people ought to be able to look at our lives and say, man, I need some of that. Verse 15 says, the Christian is the aroma uh, to those being saved and those perishing. They are to one group, they are the smell of life. To another, they're the smell of death. The same aroma. My wife cooks anything with garlic, and I have to sell out of the house till she's done. That aroma literally turns my stomach. Other people can walk in and go, Ooh, I love the smell of that garlic cooking. The same thing, but it has different reactions on different people. You have been teaching someone the gospel, I, I have, and they become insulted and they say, you, I can't believe you're trying to tell me I'm lost. Well, I'm to that person, I become the aroma of death, the Bible says. But someone else who gladly accepts that same gospel, to him or her, it is the aroma of life. This figure of speech that Paul's talking about, and, and they would be very familiar with it, came from the Roman army's victory parade. When he said, thanks be to God who leads us in the victory or in the victorious profession, the, every time Rome would conquer a nation or a city or an area, what they would do is they would go in and they would capture everybody that they were going to later kill. They would take the slaves and people that they thought would be useful to them and put them in one batch or group, as it were, <coughs> but the other people, especially the military people they would take and they would lead them in a succession oftentimes with nose in their ring uh, rings in their nose being pulled by ropes and in the front would be the king on a great horse behind him would be all of his generals and his and and his higher up ranking officers and then behind them it would go down from rank you know down to private first class i guess and then behind the army would be the defeated army and they would be being led along along this path through this city this great uh, uh site of power and victory of the one army over the other and they, and they would be young ladies that would have these uh, censers, and they would be burning incense in them. And they would run in and out of the crowd, you know, and everybody would smell that incense, brothers and sisters. And, and so what would they smell to the Roman army, to the victors? It was the sweet smell of victory that would fill the air. But what would that same smell be like to the captives who were being taken to their death and many a time tortured before they were killed. To the army, the, vict- the victorious army, of course, that was a smell of victory. To the captives, the same smell was the smell of death. Beloved, those who acknowledge some Lord other than Jesus, they smell death in the gospel. When you try to present it to them, maybe you've had that experience. I hope you've had the other where they smell alive. Those who insist upon going against God and His Word, those who are determined to live for themselves, the gospel becomes, the Bible says here, the stumbling block. It becomes the aroma of death. 
So, brothers and sisters, if, as a Christian, if you are faithful to Jesus, then you are, you are the aroma of Christ. There'll be no robot religion in your life. You can't command perfume not to smell sweet, can you? You can't go up to the perfume bottle and say, listen to me, bottle, I don't like that smell, and I don't appreciate you letting it out, and you keep it to yourself. You can't do that, brothers and sisters. It's going to smell. That's what perfume does. You cannot command it not to. You can't stop the aroma. You can't be neutral about it. <coughs> it's going to smell to you one of two ways, according to our Scripture. If we are the aroma of Christ, <coughs> and we are, then God wants to use us to spread everywhere the aroma of Christ. That's our ministry, brethren. That's what we're here for. Here's the mission part of the text. Paul says in verse 17, because we are the aroma of Christ, what do we do? We speak. You say, Brother Green, if we're the aroma of Christ, how do we spread the aroma? S-P-E-A-K. We speak. I've heard Christians say, well, Brother Green, I believe if I just live a good moral life, I'll just lead people to Jesus by my example. Brothers and sisters, that's not entirely so. Obviously, we're to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth and live a good Christian life. We need to do that. But, but the Buddhists live a good moral life. And you know what? They make Buddhists. Why? Because they speak Buddha. They are the aroma of Buddha. If you live something, you can't help but speak it. How many times we say somebody about football is his life, or fishing is his life, or sports is his life? What, are we, what, are we, what does that person talk about every time they're around you? Whatever is their life, right? So we are, the Bible says, the aroma of Christ. That's point one. Now point two shouldn't take more than 45 minutes. The second thing we are in Christ, the Bible says, is competent. You notice in chapter 2, verse 16 of our text, when Paul's talking about we being the aroma of Christ, he says at the end, and who is adequate for these things? That's a huge task, brethren. Who is adequate? Who, are, we, are we adequate to be the aroma of Christ? Well, he, 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 he diverts a little bit like preachers are prone to do, and then he picks back up in verses uh, 4 through 6 of chapter 3. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Brothers and sisters, we are inadequate people. We need to understand that when it comes to doing God's will. And yet we are the aroma of Christ. Yet we are the salt of the earth. Yet we are the light of the world. So where does our adequacy come from? Our adequacy, he says, is from God. If God makes you the aroma of Christ, then you're adequate to be that. We say, brother, I just don't have the adequacy to do these things. No, 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 no. Why are we adequate? Because our adequacy does not depend upon ourselves. If it's from God, if it's from ourselves, brothers and sisters, I think everybody in this building today would admit we are inadequate. I know I am. Somebody said, brothers and brother Green, I just don't have the ability to share my faith. God doesn't lie. He says, we do. He says, you're adequate in Christ. You know what we try to do? We try to, as Paul tried when he came to Troas the first time, he tried to step out of the will of God, and so he become very inadequate. And he wasn't able to do what he, or he didn't do what he was supposed to do. We, and when we try to lean on our own strength and our own understanding and our own self, then we're going to be inadequate all the time. He says, our inadequacy is through God. 
through Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the Bible says. So God says we're adequate. Now, we don't need to argue with God, brothers and sisters. He says we're adequate. And he made us adequate as ministers of a new covenant, the Bible says in verse 16. Or I'm sorry, verse 6. So we're adequate. And what, what is adequacy for? To spread the ministry. To be a minister of the new covenant, which is in Christ. If you're a Christian, you're adequate to tell people how to come to Christ. You know what you did to come to Christ, didn't you, every one of us? Didn't you know what you did to come to Jesus? And somebody said, but Brother Green, I just can't answer all the questions they're going to ask. Neither can I. And you don't say you have to. Just share Jesus. This text says you're adequate. You're, comp you're, you're competent. We just need to believe it, right? You say, but you don't know all my weaknesses, Brother Green. This text is written to the church at Corinth. Beloved, read 1 Corinthians. They were the most problem-filled church in the world at that time. They were not only tolerating but praising the fact that a man was living with his father's wife, his stepmom, and having a relationship that he's not supposed to have. They were going to law with each other, suing each other. They were mixed up on marriage and divorce. They're misusing the Lord's Supper. The women aren't in their proper place according to God. They're boasting about their spiritual gifts instead of using them for the good of the church. They're not even sure the dead are going to be raised. And they're not giving like they should. They abuse the Lord's Supper. Yet these people, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9, and I quote, they lacked no spiritual gift, and they were, quote, lacking in nothing. In spite of all of that, they were adequate, brethren. God made them adequate. Our adequacy is not in ourselves, and as long as we believe that and try to do that, we're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. Their adequacy is not in themselves. Somebody says, I just don't have the ability to share my faith. Yes, we do. Yes, we do, brothers and sisters. We're adequate in Jesus Christ. God makes us adequate in Jesus Christ, okay? <clears throat> That's what we are. Let's live like that. Let's live like that. We are, through God, adequate and competent. So what do we need to do? We need to believe it. We need to act upon it. We need to live like it. Because our adequacy is in God, he goes on to say in verse 12, then we are very bold to speak. Jesus Christ is the most powerful person that ever lived, and he lives in you and me. Therefore, there, this is something I can't do. There, there's, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can't do that God has commanded me to do. Why? Because God is our adequacy. God gives us the boldness and the courage to carry out his commands. Everything that God commands of us, he gives us the ability to do. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, what we call the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, this is, this is Jesus' promise to us. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, you go do my will. I'm going to be right there with you. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to be with you, he says, since we are the aroma of Christ, and since we're adequate and competent through Christ, then we have the boldness and the strength to do God's will. The question is, am I doing that? Are we doing that? Let's be who God tells us to be. We are who God says we are. Let's live it. Let's be the aroma of Christ. Now, friend, 
let me ask you this, because we said that, that the aroma of Christ smells two different ways to do two different groups of people. So when, if you're not in Christ and you, you're smelling the aroma of Christ today, hopefully through God's word, you're smelling that. What's it smell like to you? Do you resist it? Do you go against it? Do you say, no, I still want to live my life the way I want to live, and I want to call the shots, and I don't want nobody else doing it, and I don't want to surrender my life to Jesus and make him the Lord and master of my life? Uh Uh-uh, that's the smell of death to you, see. There may be someone here today that says, you know what? I'm ready to come out of the world. I'm ready to get right with God. that, That perfume, that aroma smells good to me. That's the aroma of life. If you need that, we would encourage you to come now this morning and respond to the Lord's invitation while we stand and sing.